Hello everybody and welcome to Volume 2, Issue 62 of the Cane and Rinse Podcast. A developer whose hallmark is technical wizardry, Yu Suzuki's AM2 were responsible for eye-popping innovation throughout the 80s and 90s, with arcade titles such as Space Harrier, Outrun and Virtua Fighter. Open-world RPG Shenmue would become his Symphony No. 8, his Sagrada Familia, as wild ambition and development costs well beyond sales that were realistically possible on Sega's underperforming Dreamcast. Joining me, Leon Cox, this issue, Darren Foreman. Been podcasting since the day that the snow turned to rain. <laughs> James Carter. Three-peat. And a special guest, AI Bot's Dan Clark. Where is the mirror? <laughs> also known as Mealtime Strategy. And uh, joining us for this one as a, a long-term Sega expert and Shenmue fan. I'm the one fan, I think. I don't think that's true. Oh, no, I meant on the show. Oh, okay. No, I don't think that's true either. But we'll, we'll find out. Yes, we are looking back at just the original Shenmue on this show. There will be another Shenmue show in a month's time. Dan will be joining us once again. In fact, I think it will be the same panel, if, unless I'm mistaken. Uh, and then that one will talk about the potential for Shenmue's HD and Shenmue 3. Um, but this week, it's just about the original Shenmue. So, our own histories with the game. Who bought it at the time? Who's played it later? Um, there's no other format to play it on in this case, other than... It, well, in on... In the case of this game, Shenmue 1, there literally is only one format to play it on, so we don't have that discussion, but did you play it back in 2000, or did you import it in 99, play it in Japanese, or whatever? Uh, Darren? I first checked out the Project Battle demo that came with 3 Team Battle. Wow, okay. It wasn't playable, but no. it was a, a trailer, and it really looked very nice, and uh, that got me very interested in the game. Obviously, it was riding on a wave of hype. And it just looked like my kind of thing. So as soon as it was available um, in the UK, I got my hands on it. And you're a big uh, Virtua Fighter fan, so presumably um, you may have even been aware of it as in its earliest stages as Virtua Fighter RPG, which was mentioned in the press and stuff. Yeah. Um, the thing is, like, my Virtua Fighter fandom kind of like, grew stronger as the years went on. I mean, okay. I didn't even like Virtua Fighter 2 very much. Oh, okay. But, um, you know, as I matured as a player, I started to appreciate the final things in life. Mm. And... Shenmue was definitely one of those, although the synonym doesn't quite work because I was interested in it from the start, but... <laughs> it's alright, we get we get what you mean. I sure wondered it. So you bought it on PAL launch day, presumably? Yeah, as soon as it was available I snapped it up and stuck it out and started playing. Okay, played it through back in, so 12 years ago, basically. With that magnificent dub. Yes, we'll we'll obviously we'll talk about that. Uh, and have you played it since at all, or is this? Is... I've played it a few times through the years. Okay. Um, had a quick refresher just like last week, but it's not been in like yearly. But it's definitely something I've played through a few times. Okay, cool. James, what about you? Um, this is a really odd one, actually. Uh, I didn't play it at the time. I played it in what would have been 2001, so not long after it came out. No. Um, I was in university on a um, 
industrial placement um and uh, the people I was staying with, the, their eldest son uh, had a Dreamcast in Shenmue, so we sort of played through that together uh, at the time. Um, and since then, I haven't played through the game again because I've never had a Dreamcast myself. Mm. Um, but I have watched the delightful movie a couple of times. Okay, and yeah, we'll, t- we'll talk a bit about the movie. Uh, yeah. We may as well cover it now. It's essentially, it's the entire game's cutscenes stitched together with a few extra bits. A, a few bits of gameplay. Uh, and it was uh, released in Japanese uh, cinemas, incredibly. It was, yeah. It seems ridiculous. And when you watch it as as the extra on the Xbox mm. version of Shenmue 2 now, it seems preposterous to think that would ever be shown in a cinema, but such was the the volume of uh, emotional attachment that a lot of people had to the game in, yeah. in Japan and, and the sort of furious interest that was surrounding the game that, yeah, it was out in cinemas. Not to mention Sega's uh, vested interest in recouping some of the costs. Yes. Yeah, yeah good point. Possible, yeah. Now, would you not go and see it? If it if it was around in your local independent cinemas now, I know it's it's only going to be a small market of people, but <laughs> I'd I'd still go to the cinema to watch Shenmue the movie. I definitely wouldn't. Um, it's the whole thing's available on YouTube for a start. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, fair point. But the thought of seeing it on the big screen and everyone taking their VMUs <laughs> and sharing their VMU data and yeah, if you can get, if you can get your your two CR two hundred three two lithium cells to last the the journey from home into the cinema. <laughs> oh, I told you I was the only real fan. I would I would definitely love to be there at the end of the show and when they just either there's a stunned silence or there's a massive applause. <laughs> love to see which. No, I agree with you, Dan. But I think it's it's more about the uh, the social aspect, almost, isn't it? Because inevitably, everyone in that cinema is a big Shenmue fan. You would have, or at least even just a big video game fan, and so you would have an immediate That's uh, feeling of warmth towards everyone else. You would have audience, a kinship, is, and yeah, yeah. It'd be yeah like if they showed indie game the movie over here. Well, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. Which is counter, completely counter to the usual cinema going experience. Which is me wondering how these people actually manage to get themselves into the cinema at all. <laughs> so uh, presumably, other than maybe the odd special screening by fan groups or whatever, this uh, the the famous uh, American Western dub has never been seen in in UK cinemas. Presumably, <laughs> not as far as I know, but maybe some independently owned cinema showed it as a a feature event. I don't know. It seems like the sort of thing that if you owned your own cinema, you can put on what you like, then maybe you would. But Anyway, uh, getting ahead of ourselves. Dan, uh, you, you were already a, a big Sega fan at this stage? Um, presumably? Yeah, I was. Um, well, I kind of got out of touch with them after buying the PlayStation. But do you remember the? Uh, there was a, a copy of Edge where they announced the Dreamcast? And it mm. really wasn't known until this copy of Edge that, hang on, what's going on here? Um, and there was a, uh, the article in Edge had a uh, picture of the facial uh, technology demo. Mm. And that was what went on. That was kind of the point in between the Saturn version and the Dreamcast version. And it was kind of that that piqued my interest in the Dreamcast overall. So, yeah, I was looking forward to this for many, many years. And even though the difference between the PAL release and the uh, USA release was only like three weeks. USA was 9th of November uh, and ours was 24th. I still got it on American import. And bear in mind, it used to take like a week for game shops to get it in. So... I, I must have been ridiculously interested to have gone out just to get it two weeks early. And you absolutely caned it, presumably? Um, yeah, I completed it. Uh, I, I tried to time it so that my Christmas was uh, Rio's Christmas. Right. Very good. Yeah, I think a lot of people have done that. And we we, we have sort of timed the, this issue of the podcast 
to tie in with Christmas, uh, albeit. Uh, how many years after Rio, Rio's Christmas is it? Eighty-nine, uh, uh, so it's eight, no, eighty-seven. No, eighty-six. Uh, well, no, to be honest, sorry, yeah, yeah. So well, it's sixteen years. We're doing this podcast before the end of the world, so twenty-six years. I mean, <laughs> twenty-six years. Yeah. Got to go out with a bang. Yeah. So it's yeah, crikey. So it's a quarter of a century of Christmases between Rio's Christmas <laughs> in the game and uh, and this Christmas and and plus one, but also a you fair think few. Have you the jacket yet? No. No, I, I suspect if if Shenmue Three were to catch up with him, he'd still be wearing the same fashions and hairstyles, and and that bandage which is now surgically grafted at his face. Yeah, did, is it? Did we? Did it? Was it ever established if R. Kelly got the idea from from Rio? I think it's Nelly, but they do rhyme. Nelly. And I was wondering, like, yeah, <laughs> would, right. would Rio be a fan of his, or would there be like some kind of online battle between the two of them? I've totally forgotten about Twitter Nelly. Uh, so, yes, yeah, Segraem Two now. I was a big fan of Sega. Uh, I didn't perhaps know so much about uh, the different departments back in the 80s. I, I don't suppose it was as well publicised, but um, certainly seeing games like Afterburner and, and Hang On and Outrun in the arcades for the first time, it was always a, an amazing moment. I I remember seeing Space Harrier for the first time on the Brighton Pier and it was a proper... There were two hydraulic cabinets up on pedestals with crowds gathered around each one, proper like one of those gaming moments i was i was 12 or 13 years old where i just thought wow you know this this is amazing but it has to be said that a lot of am2's games in particular yu suzuki's games going right up to virtual fighter and stuff were games that without the technical whiz bang uh perhaps weren't the most amazingly deep and playable games i mean space harrier is a very simple shooter hang on is a pretty simple bike racer Outrun with the best will in the world, and God, I love that game. It's not one that has eternal playability. When you play it now, you can't help but wish you were playing Outrun 2, which has aged a lot better. And Am I being fair? I think you are, but I mean, at the same time, like a lot of uh, people try and say that gameplay is the, the only thing that matters, you know, it's all about the gameplay. Mm. It never has been. It's always been about the experience, and yeah. these games always had something, like some kind of hook, apart from the core gameplay that was just... You know, it just kind of reached into your soul and says, I've got great music and I've got this wonderful, chunky, digitized pixels are rushing towards you. Yeah. There was always something that would just grab you and just wouldn't let go. I think Yusuzoki is like one of the classic Victorian showmen. Do you know mm. what I mean? It's like all about the showboating, um, like the sell the sizzle, not the sausage, maybe. <laughs> and it's carried on like all the way through, like even Shenmue, you could uh, use your own words, Leon, for that, where it's uh, the core, core gameplay doesn't stand up, but there's something about it, some brightness, something you haven't seen before that it's selling to you. Mm. Like right through to his, um, do you remember the cancelled touchscreen uh, arcade game he was going to make recently, Sci-Fi? No, I don't know um, about that. Uh, yeah, it was going to be a touchscreen arcade machine and it got cancelled like many of his games have been since he left, well, uh, not left Sega, but mm. since AM2 were kind of split across the company. Yeah. Um, and it just seems like he's got this this spark, like a, a Miyamoto-like spark, do you know what I mean? A lot of people say he is the uh, like Sega's equivalent of, and I think you're right that it's not necessarily the gameplay experience, it's the overall product that he's selling to you. Yeah. 
Well, that speaks to creating an arcade game, doesn't it? Because even more so than home console games, it has to be something that from the cabinet and from what's on the screen in the attract mode is going to make you want to play it. And that's not about deep gameplay. And arguably, a lot of arcade games aren't about deep gameplay. It's about something that's simple and you can throw a coin in and very quickly get the hang of it. And maybe the the depth would come uh, by getting good at the game and over time. And then they start hammering you in stage three so they suck up quarters. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah. Certainly, uh, all the all those games we mentioned. Um, Outrun was a relatively easy coin up, but a lot of his, a lot of AM2's other ones very much followed the the uh, the arcade difficulty curve. Um, but yeah, it was you know it was often um, back back in the eighties, particularly that eight uh, bit home computer versions and, and console as well would even even Sega's own console would struggle to struggle to replicate. Obviously the the sheer graphical majesty of Afterburner and uh, Galaxy Force 2. Was that an AM2? I'm not actually sure, but it was certainly sprite scalar technology. I think it was. And um, and when you removed that from them, even if the playability was fundamentally the same without the deep bassy speakers and the 50 frames a second crazy sprite scaling, the games were kind of shown up to be a little bit wanting. But that seems awfully cruel because, like like we're all saying, they, those those were some seminal and formative arcade experiences. So I don't mean to disrespect them in any way, um, but I think there may be an interesting comparison with Shenmue which was possibly his or AM2's first sort of attempt at a game of such depth and breadth as an RPG open world game am I um yeah it's the first time we're trying to do like a I think it was trying to match the Resident Evil and the Final Fantasy 7 of the time do you know what I mean it was mm. it was meant to be seen in that vein as Sega's first foray into into those deeper experiences but it's interesting that disc one of Shenmue uh, being so slow is almost like diametrically opposite to the arcade experience yeah, there's. You could say the whole the whole Shenmue one, the whole thing is pretty slow, really. I mean, disc three consists mainly of your doing your job, which is <laughs> yeah. working in the docks, which was fantastic, by the way. Well, we'll we'll come we'll come on to that. Uh, opinions may differ. Uh, so yes, this started out life as a, supposedly. I don't know how far this got into development, but it was an Akira Yuki starring Virtua Fighter RPG for the Saturn, and that made a lot of sense. And obviously, a lot of the fighting remained in. It has the the brawling aspect, which I suppose is closest in 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 its uh, final form to Die Hard Arcade or something like that, and sort of polygon yeah, brawler, um, a genre that hasn't perhaps survived in in its in its form. We saw we've seen recently the Streets of Rage four footage that we'll talk about on our forthcoming Streets of Rage trilogy show. It's weird. I've got a question related to this because I don't think I have ever played a Virtua Fighter game, which mm-hmm. sounds ridiculous to say, but I just don't think I have. Mm. Um, but when I went back, to, well, when I played Shenmue two what a couple of years ago now. Um, it struck me that the way the characters move during the the fight scenes is very reminiscent of Virtua Fighter when I've seen gameplay yeah. of it. How much does it play like a Virtua Fighter game? Obviously, presumably, lacking a little bit of the depth. A lot of the depth, yeah. It's it's very unlike Virtua Fighter if you re- really want to go down to brass tacks. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it... there's a, there's a certain there's a certain way that it moves that is reminiscent of Virtua Fighter. Like, yeah, uh, you tend to you tend to kind of like attack enemies on a 2D plane once you kind of lock on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but apart from that, it's... A v- yeah, but that that's just animation, isn't it, really? I mean, the... A lot of them are Akira's moves as well, so... 
Yeah. Yeah. It's stripped right down, basically, as you'd expect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, you know, Shenmue is can be divided up into the various parts of, you know, the open world RPG, the the brawler and the the QTE stuff, and uh, and then there's the you know the driving sections as well. Um, and yeah, there's there's nothing like the the complexity or depth of Virtual Fighter, which from two onwards. One not so much. One one was arguably more in the in the sort of traditional AM2 mold of being uh, more flash than than substance. But from Virtual Fighter 2 onwards, it became arguably the most deep and sort of technical fighting game around, and and remains the case to this day. I would imagine if you you know going up to Final Showdown. Although I assume Suzuki has available had... for twelve hundred points. <laughs> or free on PlayStation Plus? Actually, probably not anymore. Um, uh, it, is, it is on special this Christmas. So. Oh, very cool. 600 points, I'd imagine. I Buy s- it. Advertisement. I assume you, Suzuki, ha- has, hasn't had anything to do with the Virtual Fighter games for some time. Um, other than, obviously, they, they still retain quite a lot of you know what the early games had. It's a game that's never really ditched its characters. It just sort of adds more characters and more... You know more to the gameplay, but this is not the Virtua Fighter podcast. I'm not qualified to talk about it. Anyway, so it became Project Barkley. Um, I can't remember what that name related to. Was it Barkley, the dog from Sesame Street? I suspect. Not. <laughs> Weirdly, as you said it, that's exactly. What it was <laughs> and footage exists of the Saturn version, which got to a relatively advanced state before they realised that they simply couldn't possibly. Uh... I think it's a more advanced state than we think. Um, because it does show moments from the very end of Shenmue 2. Now, I know they don't make things in order. Same as a film, it's not all necessarily made in order. Mm. But it's interesting that they'd got far enough to have obviously had an idea of what was going to happen in between those two times, which is a lot of game, a lot of story, which they obviously knew were going to join together. So I think it got pretty far along, and I think it accounts for quite a lot of the cost, which obviously Mm. we're going to talk about later the yeah cost, so but... the easy part was just uh porting it all to the dreamcast and suddenly it probably all seemed a lot easier but having played it through recently you know you think about the the fact that it came on uh three gd roms which are 1.2 gigabytes each uh plus the fourth disc which is the shenmue passport um how many satin uh cds would it have had to have come on um and obviously the textures would have been lower res and stuff like that but even so and when you imagine how hard it is now to for them to port Saturn games to XBLA or yeah. PSN, imagine what Sega were trying to do. God, like, yeah. Wow, what an impossible task. Well, possible task, but... Yeah, yeah. And actually, it's not a game, I don't think, even now when you play it, where it, we covered Eternal Darkness on, on Kane and Rince uh, yeah. some months ago now, and that was a game that does betray some of its previous gen roots you know it started as an n64 title and it sort of shows yep. um whereas i would say that isn't the case with shenmue you're not thinking well this is clearly a 32-bit game like pumped up for the dreamcast it feels like it was kind of straining the dreamcast uh, mr showboat's tricking you with his lovely textures maybe it's all about the textures also um it uh, am2 had a hand in designing the dreamcast purely to run Shenmue. It's a bit like Mario 64 on the N64. Right. The development of the console went hand in hand with um, with yeah, the development of the game itself. So Fantastic. So yes, the figure that's oft bandied around about the production of this game and, and, and the fact that it, it wasn't profitable, in fact it's, you know, I think possibly percentage wise one of the biggest money losers of of all time was seventy million dollars. Uh, but 
that's not just the budget for making the first Shenmue, we understand. Yeah, um, so I was looking into this um, earlier on, and the 70 million figure that, that I came across was the the sum for both Shenmue and Shenmue 2, um, and possibly other side projects you know alongside that during the development of those two games um but but certainly it seems that 70 million may be sort of laid at the at the feet of Shenmue but actually when people say that they mean the series as a whole rather than rather than one game which you know I mean that sort of sum for one game would be remarkable mm. as it is 47 million for Shenmue which is what Yu Suzuki um claims yeah is is big enough but yeah 70 million it really makes it the uh the anchor weighing sega down that people refer to this series as mm. so the the another oft quoted thing don't know if it's true is that uh for it to recoup its money every single dreamcast owner would have had to have bought a copy uh which you know a one-to-one attach rate has been almost achieved possibly uh, I think yeah Super Mario Brothers obviously pack-ins they probably don't count but by non-pack-ins yeah. um, and again first off they were looking at the Saturn and then they went on to look at this 16 chapter game yeah so obviously they weren't looking at it in terms of this these two releases I think they were looking at it in terms of the long game mm. that oh, eventually yeah. we'll make back this money on the fact that you can pick a spatula out of a drawer. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And they'll get cheaper as they go along because, the, you know, once you develop the tech yeah. and so on and so forth. Uh, there's, I mean, um, there's a fan theory that the end of Shenmue 2 is uh, Shen, the beginning of Shenmue 3, that it, they kind of knew by then that they weren't going to be able to do it how they wanted right. to. Right. And that, yeah. um, obviously, you know where there's um, a break. Obviously, we'll come to it in the Shenmue 2 show. Yeah, but there's, there's a, a break. significant change, um, yeah. Yeah, um, and that that is a point that it would have been Shenmue three, but they kind of knew the Dreamcast was dying, so okay. let's just put a bit of that in there. I I, I failed to to tell Give my own history got. of the game, and um and that's sort of pertinent um because don't spoil Shenmue two. Firstly, for listeners who haven't played it yet, and secondly, for me because I bought Shenmue one on release day in November two thousand, and I played it a little bit and I didn't get very far at all and then a few years later I played it a bit more and got as far as the stealth bit where you're trying to sneak into the warehouse past the security guards and I thought that was awful so I turned it off and I never played it again and uh, uh, until now really I mean I'm in the same boat as yourself almost so uh, that yeah, you're not going to get spoilers from me because I'm in exactly the same place as you where I've oh. played the first um, I played the first few hours on the Dreamcast uh, maybe the first five or six. Then my housemate got an Xbox, oh. uh, so I thought, uh, and that we kind of stopped playing the Dreamcast a bit, and like the Xbox was plugged in for Halo, so mm. I played a bit on there, and then he moved out, and then I've only recently played it on uh, XBLA, so so I'm in the same boat. <laughs> it's going to be interesting over Christmas. We're going to have to like be tweeting. Any interesting yeah. stuff we find? Yeah, I have actually now, because I, I completed Shenmue 1 finally for this show, so I, I am coming from it. Oh, wow! When did you finish that? Uh, I guess about two or three weeks ago. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, I think I saw your tweet. Yeah, yeah. ten minutes before the so, show. So <laughs> not this time. Uh, I'm yeah. ahead of schedule. No, um, so, so very recently. Yes, so I do come from the perspective of somebody who yeah. bought it on day one, played it a little bit at the time, so I did see, you know, yeah. I saw it running when the graphics were state-of-the-art, 
but I played through the game now in 2012. Yeah, I mean, if it was 24th of November and you completed it a couple of weeks ago, it's literally 13, uh, no, 12 years. 12 years since I bought it, yeah. Almost to the... Yes, and it it was that same copy and it's still sitting here um, and it will, along with the sequel, probably be going on eBay once I've finished them um, (laughs) because they're still in their original sleeves and stuff like that. and yes, I have I have made a start in the sequel. We're not talking about that tonight, but yes. No. So my my it is worth stressing to listeners that my playthrough is very contemporary indeed. Yeah, very fresh. Yeah, yeah. which uh, should cut through uh, mine and Darren's retro goggles. Well, yeah. I mean, that's you know, it's it's a it's a big topic. It's it's true of everything we consume in life. Whether it you know, uh, it's so important when we sample things, but n- no, never more so than in video gaming, where the tech is such a big part of it. Um, yeah, so the other thing, so, um, yeah, sorry, as regards to the budget, apparently it's, it did sell over a million copies in the end. I can't remember what the total Dreamcast worldwide sales figures were, but not enough is the short answer, uh, to keep Sega making consoles. Obviously, it's a shame. It was a lovely machine, still is. I'm still using the same one, same launch machine. It probably sells better now than it ever did back in the day. On eBay. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, and again, this this may be a topic more to go into more depth on the next show, but uh, there is currently no other way of playing it. There is no HD version, although there are strong rumours that the HD version does exist, but Sega haven't released it for various reasons. Uh, just speaking very quickly of the uh, we uh, Dan, you just mentioned the fact that there's there's 16 chapters um, yeah. potentially of this story. The the other reported figure is 11 chapters, but either way, it stands to say that um, that was never going to be 16 games. No, um, no. Shenmue is, is chapter one, um, and then three chapter to five two, is yeah, three to five is Shenmue two, and chapter mm. two is is the the manga, yeah, the little manga released. comic book. Yeah, of literally, it's it's a, a quite a small part of the story, um, and not integral at all, really. Um, but apparently, yeah, there was so, one so... point where that was going to be a whole game, though. Do you know what I mean? Mm, like the um, yeah. there's the theme of um, macro in sort of scope, but micro in scale in these games. Do you know what I mean? It's about exploring yes, the characters yeah. in a very small world, um, and the idea that they might have made a game just set on his journey on that ship. Do you know what I mean? Getting to know the characters on this boat mm. across, I, I find that fascinating that they even thought of that at any point. I mean, nowadays it would make perfect sense because it would be a downloadable um, expansion or DLC. DLC or yeah. episodic yeah, gaming. First, yeah. Exactly. We yeah. could have done a Telltale type. Yeah, thing. and especially if they had the tech all, all worked out, then there would be no need to combine chapters three to five into one big game. You would release it as, you know, a, as episodes. a four or five hour episode. Yeah, absolutely. Um, although Shenmue 2 does a lot to add to Shenmue 1 which we'll obviously discuss next also time. the figures of 16 and 11 have both come from Yu Suzuki so yes. it's difficult to know it's, yeah it's a bit difficult to know where it is and, but they had said that they were planning a. they had been planning a third game to round off a, a Dreamcast sort of trilogy I, yeah. clearly they weren't going to do chapters 6 to 16 all in one game so Presumably, the plan was for the for the series to run on into perhaps I don't know a second trilogy. On I think it could have been very interesting if they had actually just kind of like condensed the remaining story into one game. 
<laughs> You've got like one of the slowest build-ups in history, and then just and then just boom, 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 boom. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, possibly. This um, this game was uh, in total about three and a half gig, which is pretty enormous for 1999 when it originally came out. Um, just wanted to talk briefly about the Shenmue Passport because uh, there's a couple of interesting things about it. So. Uh, featuring on this disc there are tutorials explaining the game's various systems to you. Uh, these are the talking heads which are obviously using the same sort of tech as were used to, to sort of demonstrate the the graphics. These, this really made me think of Heavy Rain. You know, you've got those ridiculously high quality uh, faces on the loading screens in Heavy Rain and then these still quite impressive but much lower definition ones in the game itself and this is true here you've got these super high res for the sd generation um faces and you can move the lighting about and 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 spin the camera and all this sort of thing and it it's uh it's extremely sort of impressive for the day uh but unfortunately they're also all saddled with the same voice acting as the in-game <laughs> uh cl- and yes and then there's and one it's of consistency yeah and one of them is mark who is the uh, the African American type dude who you work with at the um, the docks? And oh boy, his face is yeah. horrific. Um, I'm sure I'm sure it's not intentionally offensive. It just comes out that way. The thing is, the Mark figure is really impressive, though, in a kind of Pixar way. It's it's a really well modelled face, at, like and they're all made as clay models first. Okay. Have you seen the photos? Like Lionel Richie's um, head in the Hello video. Yeah, very much like that. There's, <laughs> um, there's photos of the development studio where there's clay models of, of all of them. And it's like, whoa. And that's why they are kind of the best faces they had back then. Um, it was an idea. I don't know if it was Yu Suzuki himself's idea, but an idea that we can, we can do this better. Like have the art, do it like you're, uh, you're painting a still life. Do you know what I mean? Have the clay model sitting in front of you while you're doing the 3D modeling. And that's kind of where this where it all came from yeah a little bit uncanny valley but uh, again for the time impressive um and the other thing that sort of the main features of the, the shenmue passport was uh, this sort of online suite of information now i went delving on youtube and somebody has uh used some clever tunneling because obviously all the dreamcast online stuff is officially defunct now um you can't go online via a 33k modem and a phone line um the servers are gone and whatever but people have used unless you live in suffolk <laughs> okay um and, and people have gone on using various tech to actually sort of uh look at what was available on the the passport uh back in the day and sort of using software to recreate bits that weren't there and stuff i don't fully understand it but there is a lot of stuff like every single npc in the game has a detailed character bio and all this sort of stuff it's quite again just massively ahead of its time it's the sort of stuff you might expect today via a web portal or or a client you know like the i don't know like battle yeah, battle was, log client or something say, the the um the tutorials and a lot of sort of background to characters or maybe you know uh character art and that sort of thing they're all kind of just built into games now aren't they um, the tutorials, some good, some bad, just sort of built into the beginning of a game, and then t- it tends to be that character bios or or uh, audio diaries and the like are all sort of popped into the game to try and uh, get that all to you without having to go somewhere else. I think that audio diaries are the bane of my existence, especially if the bastards are hidden. 
<laughs> that's just because you you keep wanting to collect them all down. Yeah, that's no. I, I I hate them. I feel compelled to do it. Though. Yeah, exactly. And if you miss one, then you end up spoiling the story for yourself because you've picked up a later one before you picked up the earlier one. It's like it's kind of what games do though to try and tell that same story of uh, like minor character details that affect the overall plot. Yeah, it's just I like that stuff. I mean, it doesn't have to be fed to you, but if it's optional, it should at least be in the way, you know. Somewhere nice and easy to find. And obviously, Sega were using uh, the passport to get, you know, to encourage people to use the DreamNet service. It's a an advert for the DreamNet service, and b it's an advert almost for the game itself. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like it's telling you, like this is what the magic weather system is going to mm. do. And, um, and I think that relates to. I think Shenmue Passport is what originally was Project Berkeley. There's discs of Project Berkeley that are known, none have ever come up on eBay or anything, no. do you know what I mean? They're not going to be found. But um, it's almost like the What's Shenmue disc that they got in Japan, Yeah. where it's kind of explaining what the game is going to be and what they're going to do. So I think they had all this stuff that they'd been working on since the Saturn era, and then to explain Saturn to Dreamcast's Project Berkeley. Okay. Um, with the facial technology of, you know when they had the CEO of Sega as a like, a virtual face yeah, yeah, yeah. looking out over the audience. That's the, that's the Project Berkeley tech. Um, and so I think Shenmue Passport is... I think they must have been like a sub-team working on the facial stuff that carried on working on that separately from the game, mm. which is why you've got these super high-resolution faces. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I think uh, it's that's kind of a lineage there, that Shenmue Passport is what they had as a side project running alongside the game. And it also ties into the game, doesn't it? It, it checks your save file and unlocks uh, music and uh, video scenes from the game and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame that this wasn't actually in the game because I don't think I ever actually checked out any of that because I was never online. Well, you, you only need to be online for a certain facet of that disc. It's still worth popping it in as I did recently, one, especially once you've finished the game. If you've got a finish, uh, finish save on, your, on a VMU, um, you can, you've basically you've got the music player and the video player and stuff uh, at, at your leisure. So It contains all of the main cutscenes from the game. It's yeah. like, well, which I think gives a lie to how little gameplay is in the game because if they could use that as a small part of Shenmue Passport plus these high resolution like however big those textures were at the time mm. for the faces then there must have been a whole lot of stuff that was just gameplay over those first over those the discs of the game well except don't forget you you need um on each of those discs a bit like uh multiple discs on say 360 nowadays you need all of the engine and you know each disc has to have the entirety of the that's right. mechanical side of the game on it so yeah. yeah once you take that out from each disc actually the video left yeah okay we can get it onto one disc i think the thing that appeals to me and why i said that that's the sort of you know the shemu passport side of things is kind of rolled into games nowadays is it speaks to how much attention to detail and how much effort was going into the making of this um because it's not the sort of thing that i, I think certainly I was used to seeing at the time um, and now it's become much more sort of run of the mills harsh but it's become much more uh, frequently seen um, because that is the sort of depth and level that you do see game developers going into now but um, at the time I think this was still something um, that maybe you know, Rockstar at the time were probably on the path towards doing. Uh, I don't think Rockstar would have been on that path if it wasn't for Shenmue. Like, I think yeah, the GTA's yeah. 
in 3D series as seen separately from the top-down arcade games. Yeah. I think it owes an awful lot to Shenmue. Yeah, I think that's probably a, 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 yeah. a fairer yeah. uh, look at its legacy than... Possibly than... more so like San Andreas than the previous two games, Vice City and Number 3. But I think the, th- the thing I always thought, because I always imagined that you know Shenmue came out just that sort of... Sm- or was around just that smidge before GTA 3, but GTA 3 kind of had to have been development before Rockstar guys would have been aware of Shenmue, but it's still the influence further down the line, not maybe... Well, the, Shenmue was known the, back in, like, 95 when yeah, they were working possibly. on GTA 1, on the Saturn, like, in development terms. Uh, like, yeah. us as the public knew about it from, say, 98, or when seven, the Dreamcast was announced. Yeah, like, 6 or 7, mm-hmm. maybe. Right. Uh, so, I think it would have been known that there there is the possibility of having this kind of... But then you can also trace uh, Rockstar's uh, GTA 3 back to DMA's Body Harvest, which you can trace back to Activision's Hunter, so, yeah. you know. I, th- I think it was, the, the the way I thought of it was more just, this was, it was a bit like when uh, in evolution you get uh, different populations of the same species starting to develop the same social yeah, or biological behaviour at the same time independently and without you know that being communicated between them it's more it's more like that it's a kernel that has sprung up in a couple of different places at the same time but i mean majora's mask has to have been in the works around the same time and Mm. that's a very similar idea again so yeah i certainly um i remember you know when i did dabble in shenmue when i first bought it this was uh it was the same it came out the same winter as uh, Majora's Mask and obviously that was two years after Ocarina of Time and I remember you know playing Shenmue and seeing the day-night cycle and thinking oh this is like Ocarina of Time you know uh, <laughs> but obviously the the kind of the setting and, and so on is very different yeah I think it's again it's about exploring like um, a lot of characters a very dense area that is a bit smaller than you used to in in other games like again at the time like Resident Evil would be like that whereas Final Fantasy 7 isn't it's this, ma- this massive world the thing is, though, I mean, Shen- Shenmue felt bigger than it actually was just because, I don't know if it was because it was kind of like a realistic take on it, but just the fact you could see it in the background and see all these buildings that you couldn't get to mm. still gave you the impression that you were in this fairly thriving kind of locales, you know? You, you felt like you were in a place. Yeah, I mean, you had drunken businessmen staggering past you at night. It just really sold the... Like the entire kind of visual aspect of it. That was something I always thought AM2 were good at, even going back to Outrun and stuff. The you know looking at the the, the windsurfers along the coast, even though this is an entirely sprite-based game, it always it engendered a sense of life beyond the actual game, which you know games hadn't always attempted to do up to that point. So that's obviously something a strong suit of his. I think it's it's high time we issued, even though very little actually happens in this game the <laughs> spoiler warning um you know there there are some things we may give away as we talk about the story uh so the story is Yu Suzuki's uh, it was Masahiro Yoshimoto who turned it into a screenplay and script um the story is uh, famously it starts with the uh murder of your character Ryo's father with on the day that the snow, uh, snow turned to rain. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, in his own house, in his own dojo, you uh, return just to see it happen. Uh, and that is the setup. The entire setup is that uh, Rio wants his revenge. And he has to find the man who did it and kick his ass. And this turns into a convoluted... Uh, 
mission of finding jobs, uh, a bit of sort of gumshoe style film noir work, um, various various street brawls. Uh, buying plane tickets and going to bars, driving forklifts. Looking for, good stuff. Yeah, looking for sailors, etc., etc. Uh, and in the entire of the first Shenmue game is really about working out that Landy is off to Hong Kong and trying to get the money together to go and go after him. It's it's quite a slight story. It's about buying a ticket. It is. Yeah, I mean, the the thing is, it it really feels like a slice of life more than anything else, you know. Yeah. yeah. Just just the daily grind that he's going through. Trying to figure out what happened and going down and buying cans of cola. Yeah. Ditching them and then going over to the little bubble things. Like one and dice. Catch up on. I think, um, I think this is one of the problems I have with it is the insane juxtaposition between his desperate desire for revenge and the fact that he just bums around doing fuck all half the time. When you think of his age, though, and I don't know, I think it kind of makes sense that... Maybe not the capsule toys, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> but the, the going to the arcade when you have to wait until six o'clock until this person's going to be yeah, there. that totally makes sense. I yeah. think it makes sense. Yeah. Like, Graphically, I think uh, I was interested to see, obviously I'm playing this now on a, on a large, high-definition capable screen via a Dreamcast through an RGB SCART lead. And, you know, time has taken a certain amount of toll, but... By and large, I have to say the environments have stood up very well. It's it's all in the detail and the lighting. Um, things like the the drawing and the animation of the characters and things like that have aged terribly. But the, the animation was always my sticking point with the game. Okay, um, uh, my main sticking point, even back in two thousand, was was the voice acting, and uh, that's just yeah, visually, I mean, yeah. I went to I went to uh, to visit a friend in Japan in in two thousand six in a, uh, a, a a a small suburban town, Sendai, uh, you know, on the coast, and I remember even from the little amount I'd played Shenmue back then, I was impressed by sort of how authentic it felt um and uh, going back to it now it was it was evocative being in uh, Dobuita of being in Japan and that that is impressive for a game that's 12 years old well of course it goes beyond that in that um when I mean, there are videos on YouTube if you type in yeah. uh, Shenmue real life you will find people with camcorders going round streets that were rendered in the game with the soundtrack of of Shenmue and Shenmue 2 over the top of it um because literally you can walk these streets in many cases you can find the street and you will turn a corner and it will be the next street in the game it yeah. you know in in many ways when we talk about something like GTA that city uh, well um Liberty City um it's evocative of New York but you can't really Nav- you couldn't navigate New York from right. having played Liberty City, but the contention, and I've never been there, so I don't know, is that the settings in these games are lifted from real life and you could almost use them as a, a way to navigate around and you would go there and, and not just uh, recognise the or rec- recognize a certain evocative feeling, but you would recognise the streets and, you know... Um, shops and and signs above them that are the same i think is is the way mm. that people who have looked into that sort of thing have always told it to to me it's not um, that yeah. huge a, a surprise to be honest because i mean the yeah. amount of research they did for this game was insane mm. they, they used to they went to the weather center and actually accurately depicted the weather for every day 
Yeah, that's uh, that's an unlockable, funnily enough. On your first playthrough, the weather is based on rough data of, you know, theoretical weather of that time of year. But if you complete the game and start another one, then you get the actual weather from that area for 1986, which is yeah. just insane. I think it's fantastic, though, you know. It is. That someone even thought of doing that. Like, today we'd think Peter Molyneux was insane for doing that. That's beautiful lunacy, in my opinion. But um, it's. I think. I think it's. It's so much about the environmental detail and, uh, yeah, just the sort of. I don't know if organics right because it, a lot of it's man-made areas, but uh, it doesn't. It feels like it's been modelled after a real place rather than uh, something that's been designed to be in. You know, a purely a convenient area for a video video game to take place in. Mm. But it is the even though, as I say, the textures obviously aren't HD in the SD version in the original. Um, once your you know your eyes have become become accustomed, it still is effective. And um, yeah, I I I've still found it. That was the the one thing that kept me immersed and had me along with some of the music, not all of the music, uh, had me sort of enthralled in in the atmosphere of of the game world. Are we going to yeah. talk about the music later? Otherwise, I want to know which bits you didn't like. Uh, if anyone, if nobody has anything else to say about the graphics right now, Darren, you wanted I, I, to talk about the uh, animation? Not hugely. It's just it was really, always really stiff, especially in the fight scenes. Yeah, it's yeah, true enough. It is, um, I think when I went uh, to finally play Shenmue 2 uh, a couple of years back, when you start the game up, it looks good, but there's the telltale signs, you know, that it's slightly blocky. Um, the, the animations look very stiff and just not in any way naturalistic. Even just walking around the place, Rio looks fairly stiff. And nowadays mm, there would very. be much more, um, much more of the minutia of how someone would move would be taken into account. And a lot of it's just what was technically capable at the oh, time. Of course, yeah. Um, and draw distance is a similar sort of thing. Oh, yeah. But a lot of, lot of uh, popping for characters and things. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. But it's exactly as you said, Leon. Once you get, you know, half an hour into the game, your eyes have adjusted and you actually start seeing all the detail above, you know, some of the those telltale signs of, of sort of slightly aged um visuals in a, in a in a video game um they did they did fade for me i've got to say that's one of the curious things about it because when you're wondering about rio's like walking animations really quite stiff but after you've played it for a short while it kind of fades into the background but the strange thing is that if you get thrown into a fight that it it's something new and then you can see all the weird kind of yeah not quite yeah. smooth animations kind of like busting through is, uh, I suppose, you know, it must have been an, an incredible challenge because there are actually quite a lot of moves um, for, you know, obviously, again, going back to the roots of Virtua Fighter and Virtua Fighter RPG, the concept thereof. You can uh, learn new moves off characters. You can find and buy various scrolls. Um, he has a, a pretty vast repertoire. And I think, you know, to either to fully, you know, I, I guess motion capture would have been out of the question. and uh, and But just to, you know, beautifully animate all those moves would have been beyond the engine's capability beyond yeah. the development. I think they maybe overreached to a degree because a lot of those moves were actually very close to being worthless. It depends, you can train them, but it takes two weeks real time to train all of the moves. Even when they're trained, a lot of them just they're not practical, you know? I wonder if that's a hangover from the Virtua Fighter RPG side of things because obviously... Yeah, it could be because it doesn't really mesh into the it doesn't quite mesh into the group kind of mentality of Shenmue. 
I am I can imagine a Virtua Fighter RPG started out being very um, combat centric, and obviously Shenmue is far from combat centric so uh, that switch happened at some point and and putting all that extra time and effort into making that fighting uh those fighting sequences you know much much more um i don't know just improving them might not have been the best way to spend their time for a game where actually there's not not that much fighting given it's a 20 hour game really there's not that much combat you could count them on the hand on two hands i think the number of fights yeah, I mean, there are enough optional fights that you can choose to do, and you yeah, can go train yeah. whenever you like. But oh yeah, you could spend eighty a... hours doing fights because you can just you know yeah, sp- spend all your time doing it if you want to. But in terms of actual story, um, yeah, as Dan says, you can count on two hands the number of times you actually have to Need fight. To fight. So yeah, the sound. We'll talk about both the the soundtrack, and we'll come back to that uh, voice work. <laughs> so the soundtrack, I understand there were at least uh, three or four composers on it. Uh, the names which uh, I know are Takanobu Mitsuyoshi and Yuzo Koshiro did some work on it, who is an absolute legend. Um, I don't know which bits which composer did. Now Yuzo Koshiro, obviously uh, people know his work from things like Streets of Rage and Act Razor. Uh, we mentioned him on the uh, on a previous podcast and he'll no doubt come up again on the uh, Streets of Rage trilogy podcast. Uh, I think it's about half and half, because yeah. um, have you played Fighters Mega Mix? Yes, yes. Sure have. Uh, there's a early version of Shenwa's theme in that. Really? Which, yeah, which I think is a Yuzo, Yuzo Koshiro oh, track. Okay. Uh, and that is the theme that people think of as the Shenmue Why, theme. What, how, does, so, how did they crowbar that into Fighters Mega Mix, which features no... Shenmue characters. At the time, they were making a fighting game that was kind of a love letter to Sega. Yes, like yep. the first, it was the first time that Sega had been sort of self-referential. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then Shenmue is the next game that pushes that to a ridiculous extent mm. with the capsule toys. Yeah, of course. Um, so I think maybe it was like a nod to uh, this game is going to be cupping on the Saturn later oh, on. Okay. Uh, here's the tune from it. Uh, alongside, like, like you've got characters that would have been in Virtual Fighter RPG, so. I think it was meant to be a sales tool, having that in there as like a ha-ha-ha. It's kind of interesting, because most other ones would have been nostalgia, like any other kind of remix or mm. tribute kind of tune, whereas this one was something upcoming. Yeah, but then also um, in Fighters Megamix, Janet from Virtua Cop played like, uh, is it Aoi? I don't know how you say yeah. name, out, oh, out of uh, out of Virtua Fighter 3, as it was then, which wasn't yet to be released as well, so that does sort of make sense. So yeah. The, anyway, Dan, you were asking which music I had some problems with. Uh, obviously, there's the you know there's the famous title uh, title theme, which is orchestrated and so on. And there's some incredibly atmospheric pieces throughout. But there's also some pieces which are the most horrific MIDI uh, stuff using. Are you talking about the tomato convenience store? No, that's fantastic. That, that people say it's a bad song, but no, it... no, that's absolutely accurate and authentic. No, I'm talking about bits like um, Goro's theme which has some of the most offensive MIDI saxophone ever in in the history of video games. But so did 86. Yeah, but... It's n- set in 86. But it, like, not all the music is... If all the music kept that theme up, then then fair enough. But there are, I mean, I know there are anachronisms. Like, I have a problem with the fact that he has a... Rio has a Saturn at home and not a Master System. Yeah, that, that's, that's wrong. stupid. Why didn't they just have him... Have him have a Master System at home that you could get carts for and play conversions of... 
that would have been that brilliant. would have made so much more sense than the fact that he's got a Saturn which wasn't even invented for another seven years or eight years even. Um, and it, and it just sh- again, I think it's a hangover from the fact that it was meant to be on the Saturn. This seems odd, and as as Liam said, anachronism is exactly the word because they've gone to such lengths to make sure that the fidelity of the world is is intact. That it, fair enough if it was riddled with anachronisms, and that was the point of it in some strange way. Um, but but it's clearly not. Um, and it seems like either marketing or or some um, some kind of emotional attachment to the Saturn and and what. Um, what Shenmue or Virtua Fighter RPG was going to be, uh, they've put in a, almost an inside joke in a game that it is. But Suda would do the same. Do you know what I mean? It is an inside joke, yeah. I suppose. That like this game was meant to be on this. Like, hey, if we'd done it on the Saturn, we'd have a Master System in there. But hey, we're doing it on the Dreamcast, so we'll have real arcade machines instead. Maybe is the kind mm. of thing they were going for. I don't know. The other piece, the other piece of music that I had a particular problem with was the ballad at uh, after the motorcycle rescue, which I think may be the worst piece of music I've ever heard. Yeah, people love those horrible vocal tunes in like Japanese games. Is that the really Nozomi cool. cuddle scene? Yeah, yeah, it's it's astonishingly I've painful. I've forgotten it. It's but, uh... oh, oh man. It ties with eyes on me from Final Fantasy VIII as like cringe-worthy, annoying, and yet one that people seem to love. I don't Do know. Do they? Wow. Uh, yeah, I, I, it was, I, like, I sat through it and listened to it because we were making this podcast, but honestly, if we hadn't been, I would have uh, muted it or left the room. It was that, that <laughs> bad. Um, but elsewhere, there's, you know, there's some really atmospheric ambient pieces and stuff, so it's a, it's a real mixed bag for me. What about you guys? Um, I love the soundtrack, like, as a whole. Again, th- like there's a few tunes, as you say, that I really don't get along with. That, but they kind of fit the game. It's like I say, it's set in 1986. Like imagine like the Breakfast Club. It has its like cheesy pop song moment, and it's kind of the same thing as that. That, that I think they're just trying to create an atmosphere. In all honesty, when I think of Shenmue and and music, I tend to think of Shenmue too, um, mm-hmm. just because it was more recently played for me. Um, or if I think of the music from Shenmue specifically, I end up thinking of of the the movie, and um, it's an odd one because I I have an emotional attachment to it because I enjoyed the game so much. But yeah, there are moments where you think that this isn't actually a good piece of music. I think if you'd lived in Japan in 1986, you might think differently of it. Okay, um, and yeah, the, I I think we've kind of already covered it, but just briefly on the 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 vocal. Uh, acting the performances um the voice talent the voice talent uh now i know <laughs> this is from a different time this is from the english uh, language version is from 2000 but even then i remember playing it and i remember speaking to tom for the first time and immediately went to spike out your ears uh and as as for the girl with the kitten jesus christ um to to the point that on this playthrough after about the first two hours, I turned the speech off. I couldn't. It was literally insufferable. It was actually killing the game for me. The the even though it was weird playing it in mute silence with just subtitles, I just that the woodenness of of Rio and the that decision may have saved your life, Leon. Yeah, it it was <laughs> it was you know a- actively painful to play this game and and it did improve the experience once i'd got rid of the the voices and thank goodness they couldn't afford to do the localization on the sequel as a quick straw poll how old do you think the girl 
the woman that played <laughs> that little girl was. 64. Yeah, I reckon like, yeah, late 50s maybe. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you shouldn't have it's someone that so age weird. playing. That's the thing, I mean, oh, the quality man. of that voiceover is a kind of crazy example you would expect to see the year after Ghostbusters' first digitized speech. I uh, obviously will talk Shenmue 2 when the time comes, and the voices in that on the Xbox version, there's no choice but to have the English language. Um, it's bizarre that they yeah. even did that because, like, the critical reception to the sequel not getting localized, like, uh, in, with a dubbing. Everybody loved it. I think there's a lot of people now because it's you know there's so many memes. There's a lot of affection for the for the or the dub uh, in Shenmue One, and I and I think I suspect of that what? there'll be. I I know I know I I suspect there'll be fans of the game who will be appalled that I was appalled by the speech because I think I would fucking love it if they did like a little fan film and they were all speaking like they did in the game. There's there's a lot of that out there, you know. There's there's a lot. Of... I but like a professional job, you know, like James Cameron style. Yeah, I mean, just <laughs> it. it it is. I understand. It is one of those things that through it, couldn't be worse than Prometheus. So yeah, through exposure, people have got kind of you know used to it and they have affection for it and they have nostalgia. But if you if you as I did go th- play this game in 2012, it's it act it actually really damages the game experience. Really, is it? Because I can't. Again, I can't not like. I know that it's horrible. I think it's just meant to be... Oh, it's... Well, that's the thing. I mean, it's very much trying to sell this authentic slice of life experience. And you've got all these weirdos speaking like just... Yeah, like weird, most... dead-brained automatons. Like androids that have no idea how to converse, converse with each I, other. I do know what you're saying, but imagine... like, Look at the rest of games at the time and how bad voice Yeah, yeah, but was. that's... I, I... Every other game at the time was in the same boat, and I'm not yeah, saying... Yeah, they, they weren't, though. At the that, same but... time, you're like... Shenmue's trying to give you, I suppose, what would be a more mature story, or like at least a realistic one. The fact that yeah. Sonic had really shit dubbing, you know, you can, could kind of pan that off as it not trying to convey anything. Yeah. For, firstly, there were already games with better uh, vo- vocal performances that in it than this. Even Metal Gear Solid from two years before has some high campy moments, and we criticised it on this show. But this was... That's why it's recognised as such a high moment. Right, Resident Evil doesn't do much better. This was below the standard expected, and I and I and I know this because, as I say, I played it somewhat back at the time, and I think one of the reasons I stopped playing it was the voice performances. It was already below the standard, so when you play it now, like I did, play through the game in 2012. If you went and bought a game this year, if you bought Sleeping Dogs or whatever, which is you know a game that's in some ways similar, and you got it home and it had those voice performances. It would be a cult classic within days. It possibly would, but it would also be a complete laughing stock, and and rightly so. Uh, I do I do accept that you know the the overall standard was not as high as it is now in terms of voice performances, but it wasn't as low as Shenmue. It, it... What would Deadly Premonition reference if Shenmue's voice <laughs> acting didn't exist? I'm not saying it's like or as as always. I'm not saying that Shenmue is not seminal and important and all those things, but there are things about it which which must be criticised from the point yeah, of, no, of point of view of somebody who's playing it in 2012. Well, stop saying Shenmue isn't seminal and important. So once you've got past the graphics and sound, whether you like them or don't or uh, whatever. Um, we have to think about these uh, gameplay facets, um, some of which were new and exciting, such as full reactivized entertainment. Free, uh, the term was coined, and didn't last longer than these games. Uh, I, that sort of just related to the general idea of being in a 
3D polygon world uh, where you could move and move the camera in all directions and pick up items that were... Yeah, often it would allow you to get, go in closer, closer look as well. Yeah, non-crucial yeah. items. Being able to pick up non-crucial items. Um, it's it's part and parcel of trying to, to make it a naturalistic and, and realistic um, world. Uh, is is or at least at the having the ethos of of that. I remember uh, being sort of impressed it. by it at the time and slightly overwhelmed at the, the 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 possibilities of what it could mean for gaming. Um, but again, now you know, in a post, uh, I don't know how much um, the early Elder Scrolls games did this because the first one I played properly was uh, Morrowind, and that certainly. Um, kind of took that idea of lots of items all over the place that you could pick up and and ran with it. Um, but I don't know if if the earlier Elder Scrolls games, like well, Daggerfall, Daggerfall was the first one that I played, and it wasn't really anything like that. Okay, so this probably one was one of those first games. But I think one of the problems with it is that there are items which are completely and utterly irrelevant to the game experience, which you can pick up and look at slowly for no reason, and then there are other items which you can pay for which are also completely irrelevant to the game experience, like the cans of Coke and the uh, and certain food items. You know, Rio, Rio never needs to eat or drink in this in this game. Um, you know, it's not like they went down that road with the with the full realism in immersion. They 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 made shops full of food, but food that you don't ever need to buy or consume. It's almost a shame that they didn't force it to eat. Like they force it to sleep. You know, if you don't get a good night's rest. Adversely affects your performance. They should have committed light. to it, I think. Yeah, like yeah, with the, go the whole way. Go to the toilet, have food, make sure you you're hydrated, <laughs> stuff like that. I wonder if it would have been enough just to um, to to give you a, a noticeable benefit if you did do that, and not necessarily punish you for not. Maybe that was the. And they showed you with the cat what it would be like if you did have to do that. Do you know what I mean? The fact that you get extra cutscenes if you do go and feed the cat every day, and take care of the cat and like look at it which i'm sure was meant to be something else and they couldn't squeeze it in so they changed it to look yeah there's no there's no there's no payoff to that side quest whatsoever really is there you just other than the the, the warmth of knowing that you nursed a kitten back to health that's kind of shit that i appreciate in games now maybe maybe i went into it with the wrong attitude but like the idea that they've put all this stuff in the game world for you to interact with and, and i felt the kind i felt compelled to try and find every single interactable object and um and actually that's no way to play it because it's incredibly boring but then then you think like the way i played through it this time was to do as little of of that sort of stuff as possible because there's no longer none of that that stuff i'm not gonna lie at the time i really enjoyed just pricking about there is no better game where you can pick up and look at from any angle a perfectly rendered fish slice if you can do that then then i'll agree with you (laughs) Yeah, I just like this time I, I went through it without doing that stuff because it it without without Oh of course, but isn't it beautiful that you can? Not really. It is. <laughs> oh, I love that they thought they could do it. No, and no, they if, you, if you if you had actually it's... done that you might have a completely different outlook of how enjoyable it was. Shenmue is the Dreamcast. It all sums up fine. They're like, we can make this ridiculously numbered chaptered game that where you don't even see what the game's named after until the point at the end of the one we'll actually release. That's that's all that's all great. That's that's all fantastic, but I'm talking about actually playing a game and whether whether certain elements of it are fun and um and the thing is that i as i say i did start playing shenmue back in the day and 
actually it was impressive and I, and I, if anything I felt overwhelmed by the sheer number of items that I could interact with and because the graphics were state of the art at the time it was something that was almost worth doing but now with all that gone it it just feels completely it feels like the folly that the game proved it was I mean, we've mentioned Elder Scrolls. You can pick up all sorts of things in that world. And in Fallout, how many hours did I spend clearing out buildings just to take it all back? And no, half of it was completely useless. Absolutely, yeah. More than that, 90% of it's completely useless. Yeah. Um, and you can just start picking up the stuff you know you need. Um, but also, uh, L.A. Noir was quit- criticised for the fact that you can pick up all these items and it doesn't really help <laughs> yeah. you know what's useful and what isn't. Um, and, and Heavy Rain, to a certain extent, you can interact with some stuff that there's just no need to interact with at all. Mm. Yeah. Um, and it, it's it's the... It's the desire of these uh, of of the makers of the game to to really lust after that realism, that interactive world that you know s- someday, p- perhaps not in our lifetimes, we will get a sort of fully interactive, almost indistinguishable from real life um, world rendered virtually. But I think it's um, it's fine ambition again. You know, it's yeah, just it's that whether or not it makes a good game. It's is, the, is the, the main problem with it in Shenmue is that doing anything like that takes an eternity it's so slow by today's standards like you know to run around a load of shelves in oblivion or something and pick up a load of crap is yes it's a complete time waste and you know com- uh, you know pointless crappy gameplay in some ways but you just hoover up items by pressing the x button tap 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 in shenmue you have to wait while the camera slowly zooms into the sideboard you have to move the camera slowly up and down between the drawer you press the a button to interact with the drawer rio slowly pulls his hands up and slides the drawer out you press the a button again rio slowly puts his hand into the drawer and picks up the item <laughs> then you can slowly rotate it left and right <laughs> and then you can slowly put it back and slowly close the door and it's just but yeah it's it's the degree to which that it interferes with what you're what you're supposed to be doing and especially when when you consider that this is a, a young impulsive uh young, impulsive young man who wants to seek revenge for his father yeah death. he's acting more like a sort of stroke 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 alzheimer's victim in that he's kind of wandering around his house going oh a draw what's in here oh it's a spatula yeah, it's oh, like someone learning how to interact with the world around them rather than... It It does not, I can honestly tell you, in 2012 make for an entertaining gameplay experience. Uh, and the other thing, of course, the main thing that a lot of people, Shenmue, will both accuse and praise for bringing to the gaming lexicon is the quick time event. Or, as I have been... Uh, reminded by playing the game it's actually quick timer event but nobody remembers that that's what Yu Suzuki called them Uh, makes all the difference that are Uh, but either way QTEs um, certainly weren't invented by Shenmue Uh, that style of gameplay of the uh, minimal button press within time limit for maximum animation feedback had been around since the 70s in fact but here it was with the big buttons on the screen and uh, every game since pretty much has had QTEs. Yeah, it's, in. it's much more like what we would recognise a QTE for nowadays in, in this. Yeah, You can play the QTE arcade games, which are incredibly easy, but actually the QTEs in situ, in, in the real situations, uh, can be quite... Um, yeah. You can be quite. You can be punished and get game over and have to. Or it's not a major game over. You just have to redo the section. But um, I think you know, it works fine, and it does actually make up for some of the shortcomings of the the actual game engine, having these uh, dotted throughout the game. 
What do you fellas reckon? Generally, cuties are absolutely reviled when uh, you're thinking about games. But games that feature them prominently can be very enjoyable, as long as they're done right. I mean, if you're just tapping a button to open a crate, it becomes a pain in the ass very rapidly. I wouldn't say a joy, but there's a satisfaction you can sometimes get from nailing a QT just perfectly, and then getting something cool happening from it. Would it be fair to say it's the difference between designing a QTE so that you... I, I I don't know what the, the the mechanical difference is necessarily, but th- there seems to be a difference between putting a QTE in to replace some gameplay that you don't think you've got a control system for in the game, and putting a QTE in because it's actually more enjoyable to play that way than having to go through a series of, you know, controls and button presses to do something. It's actually just more fun or more epic to press a button and see a lot happening for your fairly minimal but well-timed input. Um, when I think of bad QTEs, I think of them because they're introducing something into the game that you cannot otherwise do in the game and they just want you to feel like you're interacting with basically a cutscene. I don't know, there's, there seems to be some kind of difference in my mind although i can't point at mechanically why it would be different there but there is a difference in my mind of when there's some thought gone into the qte um asura's wrath i think the qtes often were quite creative and uh quite interesting and i think here maybe it's because it was the first time i'd come across them but i i felt the qtes were quite well thought out and fairly well done also quite a few games only use the uh, face buttons rather like rather than the directions to sum up what you're doing, do you know what I mean? It's like X, Y, etc. Rather than like jump up there and do this. Do you know what I mean? Like move out of the way of this crate. You're like press X to move out of the way of the crate that I have to move to the right to do. Whereas Shenmue isn't like that. And the games that you're like, like you're saying, there are games that do it right where it feels like you are interacting with it. Yeah, I think in some ways the QTs have aged better than the, the, the gameplay that actually progresses the story, which tends to be a lot about um, simply being in the right place at the right time, seeing a cutscene, and then then there's quite a lot of sort of fairly bog-standard, uh, you know, speak to person or take item from this person to other person. There's not a There's not a great deal of depth to progressing the story whatsoever, I wouldn't have said. No, it feels uh, in some ways... It feels almost like a... I don't know, when I was playing it, I felt almost just like a kind of fancy um, point-and-click adventure. Obviously, it's not point-and-clicking because there is direct control over the character. Kind of like Dizzy, but 3D. Yeah. Yeah, it sort of feels like you just have to... You know, it doesn't feel mechanically difficult to progress the story at all because it's a case of, okay, it's a bit of wandering around and exploration, but ultimately, as soon as you stumble into the right place or speak to the right person, that's it. You're going to get, you know, the check mark to say, right, the story now moves forward. And there's lots of very obvious sort of barriers in, in place. And again, I accept the age of the game, but stuff like, you know, you have to wait for a certain time of day before a certain door is... In, you know, you can interact with the door or the, the people that you need to see don't come into play until you've had a certain conversation with a certain number of people on the streets. Um, the very silly thing is that there's other points where it will drag you forwards if you haven't done something right. by a certain point. And it's like, why didn't you realise that that's a really good idea? Like, that would have made Shenmue so much better if they'd realised this point where we're going to say, oh, if you haven't done this by this certain date in the game, we're going to carry you forwards. 
that the pacing is all over the place um, because of that thing. So you can, you know, you can sudden you can spend weeks just hanging around in the arcades, um, and then and then suddenly everything will get propelled forward. But I was going to ask about that time limit because it mentions it in the manual and at the start of the game. It says, you know, there's a time limit. We won't exactly tell you when the game ends, but it does at some point if you fanny around too much. Um, but I've never, I've, I've often wondered when it is, because I had the story wrapped up, and I'm sort of disappointed, by December the 24th. So it meant I didn't even get to see Christmas. I was already heading off for the sequel. Um, so when does the game end, and what happens if, if, you let it, if you let time run out before you work out that you need to go to Hong Kong? It ends on April the 15th, but I don't know what happens other than your game ends, because I've never got that far. Like you Lundy said. comes back for a visit. That's what happens. Seriously? Uh-huh. Yeah. And you don't get to fight him, you just lose instantly. <laughs> so, is it possible if you've got to a certain point, if you've got to, if, you, if you've not done any of the story by that stage, you're just fucked, basically? I mean, narratively, that kind of makes sense because at a certain point, Landy's going to work out there's another half of the mirror to come back and yeah. get, and so he's going to come back for it. And if you haven't yeah. already gone to Hong Kong, then he's going to find you exactly where you were. So, I mean, curiously, it, it does... that is the entire point of the game. You're trying to find him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The only thing yeah. is, at the point that he comes back, you've got no chance. It would be entirely possible to play the game and and just you know a lot of people talk about how wonderful the distractions are. Um, I actually think it would be hard as much as i i like space harrier and hang on uh, those are the only sort of things that i actually wanted to spend time doing other than progressing the story and i think that many months of just space harrier and hang on would have been a stretch um and even just even trying to cl- complete your collections of gachapon capsules um especially if you lived in the usa where you couldn't actually transfer over your save I can just imagine all these poor people like collecting really? every one of the oh, of course because the did the sequel not the dreamcast sequel didn't didn't come out in the US? No, it didn't. It was Microsoft exclusive. We're we're the the yeah. lucky ones right. who got both versions. Okay. Yes, I yeah. did. It's a it's a whole Microsoft money thing. It's yeah, they paid for exclusivity cool and they paid yeah. for the localization. So well, I did I did get to transfer my save, which was exciting. Um, I understand that if you uh, if you just start Shenmue two without having completed Shenmue one, it starts you at the latest possible date and with a minimal amount of items, but that's probably for the Shenmue 2 show. Um, another uh, sort of couple of things I wanted to bring up. Um, the dramatic end of disc one, which ends with you catching a bus. <laughs> <laughs> like Final Fantasy Seven, everyone knows how disc one ends, right? <laughs> Shenmue, you have to wait for a bus in the rain and then catch it. <laughs> that's it. I prefer Shenmue's ambition, to be honest. Yeah, of course you would say that because because it's you. But um, catching a bus is not in any way a dramatic equal of a main character dying. Well, I think my reaction to Eris ended up dead was slightly different from most people's. I wonder how much of that is just the 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 end of a disc was more a technical limitation yeah, than a creative so, yeah. decision. Well, so that's the thing. I mean, you're moving to a new area, you know. It's just that yeah, it needs it's... more data from somewhere that it doesn't have. It struck me as funny because, um, again, it was one of those things where where back in the day it was like, wow, and you actually get you go up to a bus stop and you look at the timetable and the buses arrive when they're scheduled, which is accurate for Japan because that does actually happen. Um, they're not actually just always late or arrive in threes like they do over here, but. Um, it was, you know, it was again a moment that in 2000 may have been like, oh, this is so cool. I'm catching a bus based on. But now it's just like, wow, that was it. 
Yeah, it's that faux cinema verite style. Do you know what I mean? Like the office. Like <laughs> yeah. <that>. Like... <laughs> um, and a, another sort of uh, a moment that I found both hilarious and annoying was the um, the going to rescue uh, Nozomi uh, chase yeah. on a bike. So uh, I got to... The, I, you're woken up in the night, aren't you, find, to find out that uh, Nozomi has been kidnapped down the docks and you need to get there before... Um, what is it the creepy bloke says i'll i'll make her, i'll make her cry <laughs> so i i'm guessing in the japanese version it was something a bit stronger but i could be wrong um so you rush into town and pick up your mate's bike uh there's no conversation about whether you're insured for anything or that that would have been you know again a realism too far picked up the bike at 1am in my game the mini game bike race started at 3am it took me two hours from the point that I picked up the bike in town to get up out onto the highway that normally takes me about 10 seconds to walk. It would have been quicker to actually walk from my home to the docks than it was to get on the bike. But it gave me two minutes to race the bike to the end of the sequence. And when I arrived, even though it was 3am and I'd done this two minute bike chase to get there in time, it was 3.29 when I arrived. But yeah, it I I did I did almost think when when it came to that I I'd, I'd seen a screenshot or some video of of the bike chase before so I thought oh maybe this will play exactly like the hang on coin op but uh, but it doesn't. Um and then and then came disc 3 um which actually this was already on disc 3 but I just wanted to talk about the experience of disc 3 because the the forklift driving is so iconic it's so famous. Um there's the racing in the morning and then there's the there's the doing of the job during the day and um i just i didn't hate it i don't know why i didn't hate it but the 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 handling is is okay on the forklift but the fact that if you clip anything any corner or any person that's just popped out of the the draw distance at you you get completely stopped um it's a really sort of I know that's what some people love about this, but it's so mundane. It's a whole disc broken up occasionally with cutscenes or brawls um, of just driving a really not that entertaining forklift truck and doing a pretty tedious job. Why, why do people love this so much? Again, if Sega are trolls enough to kill off a console just when people start loving it then they're gonna put in the third disc which on other rpgs and stuff has been the best disc like do you know what i mean you're getting to the, the crux of the mm. story and then suddenly oh oh great it's disc three of shenmue it, it's the first time sega showing the, the troll face <laughs> that they've showed from from thenceforth do you know what I mean? Ha ha, let's piss all over our fans. Think... Like, in the nicest possible way. Do you know what I mean? I'd, I'd... Yeah, in but in quite a, a fond way. Yeah, people like... really lap up that piss. I mean, they really... I, I had fun with it. <laughs> I know, you know? I know. Like, I've maybe got a stronger worth ethic than you guys, but I like being able to just feel that I'm using my time in a productive way, which is to waste my time in a video game doing a job that I would hate in real life. But the character you've played for the previous two discs had to do that to get that ticket. Because otherwise, there's no point in the beginning. Like, if there's no find the ticket, there's no Shenmue. So there needs to be disc three because Ryu doesn't have enough to get 
a ticket. But of course, in the end, it's not the money that you've made because you're actually thinking you've already been given an inkling of how much a ticket to Hong Kong costs. And you know, and you're working out that even if you get your quota bonus for crates every day, it's going to take you about seven months or something to save up enough money. And in the end, it's not stacking the crates which gets you to Hong Kong. But you still need to do enough of that to get to that point. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but you're just progressing the story, aren't you? And the race is the same, exactly the same course and exactly the same AI every morning. And, you know, by, by, and if you want the different trucks, you have to deliberately finish in different positions in the race in the same way as Ridge Racer Type 4 made you do. And, um. Well, it's not Mario Kart, is it? Well, no, but I was hoping for something but, again, like the bike chase, yeah. something that was as fun as Yu Suzuki's actual. The point, the point still comes back to even even if we're saying you had to to do this much of this to earn the money to be able to work out that you would never make the money that you needed for the plane ticket, it, it still comes back to the fact that the amount you had to make in order to work that out is arbitrary set by the game developers. So why not just make it shorter? And, and easier to get to come to that conclusion, um, and because it's about unreachable goals, yeah, the whole game yeah. is about unreachable goals. Like even even outside of the game, it's about unreachable goals. So, like, mm. do you know what I mean? Like Shenmue five hundred K is that his name? Like he's part of the story of Shenmue in a way. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Absolutely. It's, like it's all Again, about the, unreachable is... goals. The whole. The whole thing. So <laughs> this is all. This is all true. And again, but I'm tr- I'm talking about this from the point oh, of, of view of. It doesn't make for good gameplay at all. Is 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 this three of Shenmue actually entertaining, or are there a million better games I could be playing other than this? I'm not gonna lie. I found it absor- I found it quite absorbing the whole time. I yeah, mean, I really likewise. get into that slice of life stuff, as I've mentioned before. You know, I like day night cycles, and I like being able to feel as though you're kind of living someone else's digital life to a degree. There would be a point where it became yeah. just utterly tedious. But I had no problem with it for the amount of time that it lasted. Yeah, I think it, it, it went on too long for me. Other games of other more very recent games have made me do the same kind of thing for a lot longer mm. and still not resolve themselves anymore. So I, I don't think it's a huge problem. It's true. It is something you see busy work in games. Um, I, again, I just think that it's just irritations like and again they're probably more irritating now than they were back in 2000 but it is like the stuff when you're 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 merrily going about your business stacking crates but then another forklift driver appears you know 2 feet in front of you and you just stop dead there's no sort of there's no interesting physics or collision work or anything like that it just everything stops if you touch if if, if you just knock in one of the cats that's running around the dock there's no sort of amusing sort of wow with the cat running away you just stop dead and wait for the cat to bumble on past any clip of any piece of geometry you stop dead and you have to re-accelerate and it's I, I I do understand what you're saying the slice of life stuff and the and the sort of the immersion of doing a real mundane task and whatever but again there's just I just constantly felt like I could be having more fun doing something else. I think you compromise on... the soul of the game by doing something else. I think it that is part of the game that they did feel that this is an important part of feeling what this guy has to feel like. Yeah, sure, definitely. That's definitely true. Um, but yes, it's whether whether that game appeals. You know, obviously, you know this this is a sacred cow of a game. But as we always say about every but again, game, it's, it's the both... first time that anyone had tried some of these aspects that they were like sort of reaching for. 
I think they themselves knew they couldn't even get there. But hey, we'll show what... Like, if we had the most powerful computer ever, this game would be brilliant. It's kind of what they're trying to say. Do you know what I mean? It's Yeah, I don't understand that. It would have been, you know, I suppose it's interesting that they didn't go down the route. Normally, what you'd expect in a game like this is if there's if there's crate moving to be done, you'd expect it to be a variant of a Sokoban-style puzzle game rather than it is literally taking crates from one place to another and stacking them up as you wish, pretty much, within limits. I think that's the arcade game roots of Yu Suzuki showing through. But it is this sort of thing that you can get better at. And you know you're getting better every day. And there is the kind of... The, the reward to work for of, like, mm. a few more extra pence every day. Even though it's not worth you collecting them. Once you mm. finish the game, you realise there was no point in doing that. But I think it's, no. like... I must admit, I did get, I did, you know, I did want to hit my quota, and I, and there is a certain satisfaction to lining up perfectly on a crate so that the forks go right, you know, absolutely flush into it, and you're not carrying a crate around at a ridiculous angle for the, but, but three, well, it was three or four days of it is just ludicrous, and uh, even more hilarious is the fact that I've seen on on in on Game Facts people saying, ah, now what you can do is you can extend your forklift driving for infinite number of days by doing such and such by never going to this place so you can start Shinmu 2 with loads of money it's like please god no no more days of forklift driving i've done enough i just i i wonder if if sort of the the summary of this discussion isn't that whether through whether it's trolling or whether it's to make a point about the hopelessness of rio's situation at this point in the game um it it seems like it's in, it's possibly intentional to have this in there you know and and by making it intentional, they also have to accept, the, the makers of the game have to accept that there are going to be a lot of people don't like this aspect of the game. And in all yeah. honesty, there's nothing to suggest that that's not the case, that they are perfectly willing to take some flack in order to either troll certain players or to, to make the point about, um, you know, the the unreachable goals. So... But but the the downside is that we live in a world where Shenmue is held up by some people as a sacred cow, and therefore by saying I didn't like this about the game, you're criticizing something that is untouchable for a lot of people, um, and so you sort of you you end up with with Leon making perfectly valid points about not enjoying that side of the game, but feeling almost and i know you don't feel like you have to apologize for your opinion at all but you almost immediately expect the comeback to be well no that you know here's the reason why and and it's absolutely fine that the game's like this and and equally well some people saying come out can i have more forklift truck driving please yeah which is just yeah because I, I gather the, the the sequel goes down an even more frustrating and mundane route but um that's another story i guess for me I the fundamental through the course of one playthrough you experience all of those things like you love the game you hate the game i'll walk through it for the sake of carrying on the story and get there um and i i don't know i just think it's meant to encapsulate this annoyingness it's a valid type of design to have segments which aren't the most exciting in the world because they usually highlight something that's a little bit more upbeat and up tempo you know mm. um you know, it's like in this case, elation and uh, the, like the mundanity. You know, yeah. And in this in this case, you know, you it is you know it is broken up by by the brawler, and I suppose that those sections probably seemed more exciting again back in two thousand. That the you know, and you you do end up with the reward if you like of the eighty man, uh, kumite style sort of 
sequence of of fights and then there's another little bonus fight at the end with with uh, Chai um, who's probably the only sort of element that's in any way close to fantasy in this game in the, the way he sort of it's moves Gollum. and yeah exactly Andy Circus yeah. says hello thank you I think does he drown or does he swim away well, he, d- he more he more vanishes above the water. In all honesty, you don't see him swim away, but well, he, he basically gets to about a foot above the water and then just disappears into thin air. From what from what I remember, oh really? Because <laughs> they, they obviously <laughs> just the, the the way it looks looks like that. It's supposed to be him going into the water, but he does all just right. look as if he disappears. It's like the the Fraggle Rock intro <laughs> sequence where you can see that they don't go in the water, yeah. but the splat. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yes. Um, we should get on to listener correspondence before we summarise our own feelings. Uh, Wizard of Odd says, Shenmue was the first game I played in the Dreamcast. It was my friend's console, and this was his must-show game. I remember being very impressed by the graphics, and I thought the game just seemed, well, epic right from the start. Unfortunately, an hour or so with it was all I got, and I've never been back. It's always one of those games I've meant to get round to playing. I'll be listening with interest to see if the game has held up well over the years, and warrants digging the old Dreamcast out of the loft and seeking out a copy. The whole looking for sailors thing still makes me giggle. Barely even talked about the looking for sailors thing. I was surprised how that didn't go on for as long as I remembered from my first attempt at playing the game. Uh, And obviously it's become another meme. James, you want to read Dom's Uh, Beard? Dom's Beard says, It's probably one of the most immersive games I've ever played. I loved wandering around, talking to everyone I could and investigating. I also had an addiction to collecting Virtua Fighter toys and spent my allowance on the same machine trying to get them all. Eventually I felt guilty spending my allowance each day on toys and hang on and got on with the game. It had its irritations, the curfew was very annoying, Um, wasn't I lord of the estate now. I loved the forklift truck driving and honed it to perfection to earn more money to spend on toys of course and look forward to the race each day. The unique weather system was brilliant too. The amount of voice acting was new to me and brilliant. It's wooden as hell now. Uh, and I preferred the Japanese with subs option into. I loved the characters, Tom on his hot dog stand, Nozomi and the obvious love they have for each other and the fact Rio can't return that love. The only problem I had with the first, which I found way better in the second, was the combat. It felt too trial and error, but then again I did spend my money on toys rather than scrolls. <laughs> Darren, you're Scottish. Could you take Derek's? My nostalgia is a powerful thing and one that will paint this in a rosier picture than today's reality probably gives it. For me, Shenmue is one of the few games that felt like I was playing a genuine role where the world around me was consistent and felt like something true instead of smoke and mirrors. The story may be slightly hokey, a fact not helped by some wooden voice acting, but the wrapping around it was so mesmerising at the time it did not matter. I felt like a part of the community in that small town, that I knew all the shopkeepers and all the people that worked at the docks. The actual mechanics were pretty basic and something Yakuza has basically taken and run with, both last and this gen, minus the QTE sections. You investigate, you get in a fight, do some QTE, do some more investigating, get in a fight and ask for some sailors. But they were great at the time, the QTE sequences were fun, just to see what would happen. The combat was required some skill through learning combos and tactics and exploring was made interesting by the various arcades or curiosities that existed. And if all else failed, and if all else failed, a quick pop home to the Saturn World Wonders. I really enjoyed it. This one in particular may not stand up to current scrutiny, but then few games do. At the time I was captivated and it remains a very fond memory of my Dreamcast days. 
Yeah, it seems to be, Derek seems to reflect the, the general consensus there. Um, it's interesting how sort of, like, I don't know if this is true out there, the, the Shenmue 500Ks of this world, uh, whether they're quite so ready to sort of accept the the game's sort of agedness uh, as, as a factor in how it's viewed by today's audience, but... Uh, let's do some three-word reviews. We had to put out a second shout-out because we had so few, which seemed bizarre uh, for such uh, a vocal community of a game and such a vocal community of a podcast. But we got some. People didn't in want the to end. type meh, meh, meh. <laughs> there's been very little meh. I think if there's one game this doesn't, uh, if there's one emotion this game doesn't evoke, it's meh. Uh, all the others, but um, Dan, do you want to? Rich Spurs twenty four says. Everyone should play. Uh, Kazumod is not a big fan. His three-word review is looking for sailors, but he also sent us a load of three-word trolls, uh, including get over it, um, sequels not happening, uh, you know, various other things like that. But he did have his... Yeah, he did have his tongue firmly in his cheek. Uh, Darren? Ryan Astley says, Simply Sega's best. Kayunix Gideon says, Needs an ending. Yes, it does. Furiose says, truly forklifting experience. That's a painful pun. Zephyr Light says, forklift racing circuit. Shenmue 500k says, life-changing experience. And Team U Needs You says, seminal, criminally abandoned. Yes, cool. In in the end there, we got a couple of uh, three-word reviews from people who are obviously... Commi- yeah, committed to the Shenmue cause, and fair play to them because, as much as I have been somewhat negative, and I probably will be in my summary, all opinions are I'm, equal. All opinions, all opi- Well, no, mine, mine's obviously more equal than others. <laughs> but no, I mean, what I mean to say is that uh, we are, we do generally promote the love of video games on Kane and Rince, um while also trying to review them fairly and and with some kind of balance. But um, a passion for a game is is much more appealing and attractive than than hatred for a game, you know. So, Dan, you're our guest. Uh, would you like to give us your Shenmue summary? Yeah, sure. Well, I've already said that I think it sums up the kind of whole relationship. I like to look at it from a third, like a, almost a postmodern perspective. Do you know what I mean? That it sums up Sega. It's not that I can't see the flaws. It's not the best game ever made. But what they're tr- attempting to do, I think is almost greater than anything we've still seen since. Do you know what I mean? It's trying to encapsulate the life of... It's like um, Sony's The Getaway being set in the tiniest area of Peckham. Like two (laughs) estates in Peckham with this little high street. Um, And I love that someone tried to do that when other people weren't trying to do that. And um, like I say... I can see it's flawed. It's no in no way perfect. But for me, it's up there with, say, Resident Evil, Final Fantasy VII, Metal Gear Solid as the games of that generation. And as a quick Kane and Rince exclusive, uh, the development team behind FREE are the same ones behind Blast Processing. <laughs> fair, fair play and well said. Uh, now, I, I haven't got a very sort of neat, pithy summary for this. Um, I... I don't honestly know what I felt about Shenmue. I don't really know whether I liked it or I hated it. Um, It was a bit of everything. There were elements that I really appreciated. The immersion, the lighting, the environmental design. The ambition of it is admirable. I am a big Sega fan. I've loved loads of Yu Suzuki's games. I love the Dreamcast. I'm not, you know, I'm not from any other perspective than that. But I have to look at this game on its own merits. I finally 
got round to playing it properly in 2012, despite a couple of abortive attempts in 2000 and probably about 2005, I think it was. Um, the problem is that although it possibly arguably is greater than the sum of its various parts, the, the RPG, the brawler, the QTE bits and all that, um, each of those parts individually now quite weak it has to be said and I, I admire the attempt at sort of committing themselves to the you know the real life immersion the the day-to-day -day grind the grittiness but unfortunately the the writing and particularly the acting and the script don't support the drama in any way so it often it's just very very flat so while i can enjoy walking through the streets of a of a little japanese town in the rain and popping in the arcade and playing video games all that stuff is really cool unfortunately the actual gamey parts are very much of their time their perhaps over ambition is kind of left bare now that the tech is no longer impressive um as a video game fan as a someone who wants to be a historian I have I'm really really pleased that I finally played it through my initial feelings upon finishing Shenmue were god that was boring I really can't face Shenmue 2 but interestingly I woke up the next day really interested to see what happened next to Rio in Hong Kong so I don't know whether I could re recommend that you played it now I'd recommend waiting for an HD version perhaps um, with better load times and higher res textures might improve the experience a little. Also, if, if you've got a uh, 360 and you're going to play the uh, original Xbox version of Shenmue 2, having listened to this show, don't play any arcade games if you have a VGA box. Do you know what I mean? If you're playing your Xbox through <laughs> VGA, don't play any games in the arcade because you will lose any progress you've made up until that point. Wow, that's such a fantastically random and stupid bug. <laughs> Isn't it? Like, well, But yeah. I can understand that Shenmue 2 was made before the 360 was made. Yeah. So they didn't put the conversions of the arcade games in a mode that you can run in 60 hertz. Uh, yeah, sure. The version that we can download here is 50 hertz. If they put up the American version, I'm sure it would work fine. <laughs> that is of, so bizarre. Isn't it just... It, has Shenmue 2 even got those language options? Yeah, I suppose it has. James? Um, yeah, ambition, I think, is, is the, the word that sticks in my mind when I, I think of Shenmue, and you encapsulated just the level of ambition that I think the game shows, and maybe doesn't quite live up to, not by, certainly not by today's standards. Um, but I, I think what I would say when I think of Shenmue now, it's... Um, it's the legacy that it's had. I, you know, I see the effects of a game like Shenmue right, you know, all over the past 12 years of, of video gaming um, from Grand Theft Autos and, and get, we've mentioned Sleeping Dogs um, to games like Heavy Rain, L.A. Noir, um, chasing after the, the realism side of, of gaming. Um, you know, it, it's it's the legacy of it. It's it's what the name Shenmue means more than what the, the game was, I think. Um my my memory of Shenmue is reasonably intact, but it's it's not a game that I would think of as highly as Shenmue Two, for instance, um, which obviously we'll talk about in a month's time. Um, and yeah, it, it's it's an odd one because I enjoyed it, but 
uh, very much at the time and, and my memory of it is still good but if asked would I recommend people play it I'm not sure I'd recommend the movie as 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 enjoyable, but at least it's at least it's a condensed way to get the story and launch yourself into Shenmue Two without feeling like you've necessarily missed anything. Um, especially if you're playing the Xbox version, because you don't have the option of importing a save anyway. So there's no benefit to playing the game from from that point of view um and i don't think it's a terrible deficit not to have imported a save if you're just going into shenmue 2 so um as as you, you said, don't get you know, quite as many capsule toys yeah to sell onwards but so in terms of <laughs> not much of an advantage no exactly it's not going to break the game for you so i, I think I don't think I could recommend people play it. I think it's a game more for the memories of those who played it um, eight and, and ten years ago, and well, I suppose twelve years ago. Um, and I think it is important for what it was then. Uh, and and I love exploring the world in it. I really enjoyed that and going onto YouTube and seeing the videos of these places and just how much detail there actually was in the game is still astonishing. Um, so I think its importance shouldn't be underestimated. But hmm. And Darren? I think there are many ways Shinmu was incredibly ambitious. Had way too many rough edges and just didn't have the... At the time it was a stunning technical achievement but it was still not enough to achieve what it was trying to to show you know to give you a, like you're actually looking into someone's life and stepping into their shoes for several months at a time trying to get through his story i think that a more polished game more well scripted one would have been a better idea you know like if it was a remake today i would definitely recommend that you check it out as it is looking back at the past i think it's still important as like everyone here seems to agree the ambition is stunning. The detail is stunning. The gameplay, nah, a lot of the times it's actually probably quite subpar. But for all its faults, I found it incredibly engaging. Even though you were possibly bored during the, the forklift kind of challenges, or doing all the busy work, just running around town, trying to meet up with certain people at certain times of day, I liked the fact that it was such a essentially it's such a, a rigid schedule to everything. It, it's definitely not to everyone's taste. There's no denying that. But if you go into it, you might be surprised by just how enjoyable something so tedious can be. <laughs> it's a strange this... it's a strange juxtaposition, but you, you actually can feel a, a strange kind of immersion at just doing the most mundane things. And I think that actually is quite interesting. It is. And there's one thing that can be said for certain about this game is that the people who love Shenmue really love Shenmue. Well, thanks, everybody. And uh, yeah, a bit of a rambly one, but I think that's the I think that sort of reflects the game quite accurately. <laughs> it's a bit all over the place. Uh, you can play along with Kano Rinse Volume 2 starting in the new year after a little Christmas break and new year of a couple of weeks with Papo and Joe. Possibly might be might be a change to the schedule. Devil May Cry 3, Dante's Awakening Special Edition, Applejacks 1 and 2. Then we return for Shenmue 2. Then it's The Walking Dead Season 1, Spec Ops The Line, Crisis and Crisis 2 in one podcast, Bioshock, The Streets of Rage Trilogy, Starcraft 2, Wings of Liberty, I Am Alive, Bioshock 2 then, The Animal Crossing series, 
Grand Theft Auto 4 and the episodes from Liberty City, Dark Souls, Metro 2033 and XCOM Enemy Unknown. The full upcoming schedule will be able to be found at some stage on the blog at canerinse.com, along with all the articles and reviews of the year and videos and various other things such as our quick rinses, which can also be found on the YouTube channel. We are on Twitter at canerinse and Facebook. We are grateful for your support through iTunes subscriptions, reviews and ratings. And most of all, we'd like you to join the community on the forum and have your say. CanaanRinse.com slash forum. Just remains for me, Leon Cox, to thank James and Darren Foreman and special guest Dan, who can be found where? Uh, at Mealtime Strategy is the best way or at the AI bots for the podcast or the AIbots.com. There you go. Thanks for coming on again. We'll see you in a month Thank for you. Shenmue 2 and again after that for Streets of Rage. You're our go-to guy for all things Sega. And I'd just like to say from everyone on Kane and Rince, uh, if you're listening to this contemporaneously, if you're not, you can put it in the bank or for the next one. But Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and thanks to everybody for your amazing support throughout 2012 and uh, lots more Kane and Rince to come in 2013. Goodbye. <laughs>